Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvik. Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about puckwudgies. What? Well, don't worry about it, because first, as always, we have shout-outs. That's right, we have shout-outs going out to Marisol, Liam, Izzardbreath, Dusty, Roger, Michael, Dustin, Matthew, Alicia, Derek, Becca, Jake, and the Beasties, Josh, Jen, Elizabeth, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Trudy, Tim, Paul, Ricardo, Damian, and Daniel, Ian, Eric, Brandon, Jen, Alexandra, Simon, Ken, Connie, George, Seth, Jason, Hayden, Cindy, Kim, Ashley, what's that? Ian, Carrie, Ezram, Robin, Will, Kelly, Lauren, and Phil Mangano, Russell, Maya, Russell, Tanya, Donald, April, Seth, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, and Isaac, Cindy, Bob, Sean, Bishop, Cole, Paula, Jerry, Leo, Austin, Lindsay, Hawn, Megan, Aaron, Jeff, T, Harley, Suzanne, Joe, Lawrence, Lauren, McCune, hey, howdy, hi, Lily, Nick, Autumn, J, Mark, Manning, Carolyn, Martin, Darth, Pikachu, Jade, Nanashi, Heidi, Kira, Pablo, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Juliana, Dan, Dill, Laura, Pitts, and GamerFan. This episode is brought to you by Chris Jones, and a special shout-out, as always, to Joe Teague. Alrighty, let's get right on in to Paranormal News. First story in paranormal news. Oh, hi, Stitch. What's that? Yeah? Tell me more. The first story in paranormal news, they didn't make it up. Interview recording surfaces in Pascagoula alien abduction case. That's right. Talking again about the Pascagoula alien abduction case. They say he was genuinely scared. He was telling Charlie, don't talk to the deputies. They'll come back and get us. They didn't make it up. I can guarantee that. It's been 47 years since Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson contacted the Jackson County Sheriff's Office claiming they were abducted by aliens. Recently, a recording said to be made that night of what they told Sheriff Fred Diamond and Captain Glenn Ryder has surfaced. See, they uh, say it was about the time of the coronavirus hit um, when he received two copies of the recording. This is Parker of Moss Point. I've been talking with him on the internet. He just showed up at my house. Parker explained the man who gave him copies of the recording was an officer with the Pascagoula Police Department on the night the abduction occurred, but does not want to be identified. Parker says the officer was involved because he fielded roughly 50 calls that night from people claiming to have seen something unusual in the sky. When I sat down and listened to it, it hit me how how real all of this was. It kind of choked me up a little bit. I'd never heard it, not the full recording, just the piece where Charlie and I were locked in the room and they walked out. I was surprised they had the whole thing on tape. At the time, Parker said he didn't know there was a recorder in the room. I had no idea. Apparently, Charlie didn't either. That's, they was all hid. The interview took place on October 11, 1973, after Parker and Hickson claimed they were abducted by aliens while fishing from the banks of the Pascagoula River. News of the event thrust the two into media spotlight and put the town of Pascagoula on the map. 
I've done this on an episode, so if it sounds familiar, that's why. If it doesn't sound familiar, go find the episode, and then it will sound familiar. So uh, that's the first one. I'd like to hear it. I really would. I mean, it's great that it's out there, but let the rest of us hear it. Hopefully, it'll be released soon. If it is, I'll make sure that I put it on an episode because I always like to do uh, follow-up episodes. I really do. I think they're a cool thing to do. In fact, today's episode is just a touch of a follow-up episode. So, anyhow, that's for after Paranormal News. Up next in Paranormal News, Bermuda Triangle ghost ship discovered 95 years after it vanished. Uh, the Bermuda Triangle has always been considered a classic supernatural mystery. I'm going to skip all that. You guys know what the Bermuda Triangle is. I'm not going to go through all that. I am also not going to go through all the stupid movies based on the Bermuda Triangle or had it in there. And I'm going to jump past the explanations for the disappearances, rogue, rogue waves, strange magnetic forces, underwater methane bubbles, alien portals, lost kingdom of Atlantis, blah, 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 blah. But the SS Cotopaxi is one of the most renowned Bermuda Triangle disappearances. The ship and its 32 crew members vanished without a trace en route to Cuba in December 1925, which has given rise to the legend of a ghost ship, with it even being recently sighted off the coast of Cuba. It also popped up in uh, Steven Spielberg's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The Cotopaxi is discovered on the other side of the world in the Gobi Desert, having been dropped off there by aliens in the movie, not in real life. But now it seems the mystery of the Cotopaxi has been solved. Marine biologist Michael Barnetti has identified a known wreck as being the missing ship. There were several elements that confirmed the identity, such as the dimensions of the ship, its length, and the measurements of the boiler. Also, I looked at the general orientation of the machinery. It was all consistent with the information we knew about that ship. So there you go. A ship that uh, disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle, well, you just kind of sank. Still a mystery as to what caused it to sink, but it is not a ghost ship still out there to be found. Up next in paranormal news, Illinois has its share of UFO sightings, objects buzzing O'Hare, crashing into Bat Batavia, flying Tic Tacs, and not all are easily dismissed. Chicago, your neighbors have seen them. Your friends have seen them. Some have reported seeing them. Perhaps you've seen them too. After all, more have seen UFOs than care to admit. Never, men, never mind filing, filing a report itself. If the database held by the National UFO Reporting Center in Washington, uh, Washington State is any measure, the first official sighting in Illinois began in the mid-1920s when a farm boy near Moline spotted an otherworldly disc. The Illinois chapter of the Mutual UFO Network uh, knows of stories of airships in the Midwest dating back to 1896, but the majority of the sightings are more recent. You might even say it's a boom time for UFOs in Illinois. During the past year alone, someone in Spring Grove reported a large flying tic-tac-like craft traveling rapidly towards Wisconsin. In early June, a flashing red and white flying something was reported high above Winnetka, roughly the same altitude as a plane, but then started to descend before going below the tree line and out of sight. In March, a solid ball of white light was seen moving fast over Dixon. In May, a diamond-shaped object was spotted above Chicago, stopping, changing courses, vanishing, then around Easter, two blue glowing orbs, no, glowing triangles, were observed loitering over a mire in St. Charles. Those are just four picked out randomly out of dozens of reports from Illinois. It's okay, Stitch. It's fine. Though to judge by the data collected by the MUFON and the National UFO Reporting Center, Illinois UFOs haven't changed much since we first saw them. Even the mysterious Tic Tacs are fairly common. That's right, over Illinois the Tic Tacs are fairly common. What was new about the study was that the government's posture towards UFO sightings, well, 
we're going to get to that again. It's going to be an episode all about that report. I'm working on it now. It's a big report, but you all know about the report. You all know what they're doing. The reason I picked this uh, story though, is the fact that uh, Illinois apparently has a lot of UFOs, including the Tic Tacs. They talk about two cases, the Arlington Heights, 1972, a UFO the size of a small car descends at a stop sign hovers over the hood of a vehicle, backs up, remains still for three minutes, then zips away. Decatur, Illinois, in 1980, during a snowstorm, a dark object flying very low in the middle of a road at roughly five miles per hour, making no noise, is watched casting a kind of searchlight. Rockton, Illinois, in 2001, a large burnt orange egg hovers for 30 minutes above an open field. Oak Lawn, in 1946, five silver disks in a V, in a v formation in daylight Shoot towards Indiana. Batavia? That doesn't seem like I'm saying that right. I apologize. Batavia? I don't know. 2010, a UFO crash. Then it says, note, the keepers of these database often leave the names of the witnesses off for uh, report for privacy's sake. Plus, anyone can report anything, so actual investigations are a matter of triage. The observer of the Batavia crash pleads for urgency from the UFO reporting center. You need to get off your lazy ass and find out what came down over Batavia. That's a, neat, that's a neat one. I haven't heard about the one from 2010, a UFO crash over Illinois. So I'm very curious to see what's, uh, what I can find about that one. And I'm going to try to find out more information. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news, does Arizona have its own Bigfoot? Valley 101 investigates. Uh, surprisingly enough, sightings of a Sasquatch-like creature have been reported in Arizona, including one in 1903 near the Grand Canyon, according to an article in the Arizona Republican. I think I... I think I mentioned that newspaper when I did that episode a while ago. Several years later, when more sightings of a similar creature near the, Mong the Mogollon Rim were reported, this cryptid uh, soon became known as the Mogollon, Mogollon Monster, Arizona's Bigfoot. I'm just going to call it Arizona's Bigfoot because I don't know how to pronounce that. So, apparently, Bigfoot is being seen more and more all over Arizona. So it's even kind of gotten into, I mean, it's always been seen as, as you just heard, but it's being seen on a regular basis in Arizona. Seems like there wouldn't be enough places for it to hide in Arizona, but that apparently is the case. Alrighty, up next in Paranormal News, Bigfoot Days will stomp back into Willow Creek. I'm excited about this one. Uh, let's see, Saturday, September 4th, 2021, gives Bigfootists and anyone making a Redwood cool road trip over Labor Day weekend some sweet small town, some small townies to do's. To enjoy, whatever. The already mentioned Bigfoot Calling Contest is on the lineup for Bigfoot Days, as well as a parade and an ice cream social. Horseshoes, softball, and pursuits of the youngsters are part of the event, which is marking six decades in 2021. If you've been intrigued by Humboldt County's most major and majorly hard-to-find resident, stopping by Willow Creek any of the time of the year is a must, but if you do it then, you're going to be part of Bigfoot Days. That's right. We're delighted to announce that 2021 Bigfoot Days is scheduled for Saturday, September 4th, 2021. This event means a lot to our community, brings in much revenue for local businesses and nonprofits. So if you're in or near Humboldt County or Willow Creek, it's the 60th annual Bigfoot Days celebration. Uh, let's see, it was smarted, smarted. It was started by a small group of locals to celebrate the logging industry, become an exceptional fundraising opportunity. I would really like to go to this. I want to see if I can go to this. This seems freaking awesome. The Willow Creek China Flat Museum hosts an ice cream social after the parade. 
That sounds cool. All right, I want to go to that. So I got to see, I got to reach out, see if I can uh, do an episode from there. If I have the ability to do so, I will. All righty, up next in Paranormal News, convinced their home is haunted, couple have been sleeping on the balcony for over a month. Patricia and David C. and their two children moved into an apartment in the social park of Samkota in, not going to get this right, Remplanges, France. They moved in last September. It was built in 2016 on land that previously accommodated an old hangar. Their new home was spacious, well-lit, and modern, but the family didn't get to enjoy it for too long as bizarre things started to happen. Patricia claims that her daughter started seeing strange things around the house soon after they moved in, and after a while, the whole family became convinced that paranormal activity was at play inside their apartment. Things got so bad, they had to install a tent on the balcony to get a peaceful night's sleep, and they've been using that tent for over a month. They say it started with black shadows, then it got louder, the light would randomly go out, the TVs turn on by itself, the phone freezes for no reason, the dishes make strange noises, stuff like that. Fed up with the paranormal phenomena, the customer, the customers, the cust, the couple, good lord, Kurt, the couple sought the service of a so-called person who uses magnetic energy to detect spirits who, after inspecting their apartment, told them that it was haunted by the trapped spirit of a 19th century woman who wanted them gone. Therein lies the problem. Patricia and David don't have the luxury of simply moving to another home. David is disabled. It's impossible for them to get a place outside of the French social assistance program. On the other hand, Samkota, the company that manages the social park, doesn't buy the paranormal explanation, claiming that there's nothing wrong with the apartment, and it has already been rented twice before without incident. Uh, Patricia and David requested that they be provided with another unit within the social park, but for now, they have no other option to spend their night in the tent on their balcony. Look, or you could try and reach out to this woman, this 19th century woman who wanted you gone. Why don't you try talking to her? It's not the worst. I mean, it's not like she's ripping your pets in half or something. It's black shadows. Lights would go on and off. Big deal. TV turns on by itself. Mine's done that. Phone freezes for no reason. My phone sucks. Well, the new phone doesn't. The old phone sucks. Everything that they've explained, dishes make strange noises. Who cares? Yeah, you know, suck it up. You got a nice place to live, live there. Try and talk to the person who's supposedly haunting it. All righty, up next in Paranormal News, that's my tough love segment for, for all my French fans that might be having the same problem. Staffordshire woman claims that she was attacked by an angry ghost who claimed who, who she claims followed her home one day. Leah Lewis was, has now called on the services of a psychic medium to cleanse her haunted house. A 21-year-old woman called a psychic to cleanse her home after an aggressive ghost assaulted her in the shower. Oh, my God, my ghost. Except he wasn't aggressive. He just knocked stuff over. Uh, Leah Lewis Leah Lewis said that she'd endured months of ghostly activity before things took a turn for the worse, and she discovered unexplained scratches on her thigh. She believes the marks were left by the angry spirit. Uh, she lives with her mum, Colette, in Newhall. She said, I didn't feel anything at all until I saw the scratches when I was drying myself. I told my mom, and she said, I think we need to contact Ian Griffith, the psychic medium. Incredibly, it's been reported that the ghost followed Leah home from her work at a shop in Burton that had been haunting, that he had been haunting. Okay. There was speculations from the store staff that the ghost was a man who may have been murdered in the area years before it became a shop, as he was described as aggressive and angry or he's been stuck in a shop for 100 years. The trouble started a few weeks after Leah's grandfather died. Leah started saying that she could see things and hear things, which none of us could. I remember this one evening driving to my mom's. She asked me if I saw the little girl stood on the roadside, and I was blown away as I couldn't see anyone in sight. 
Fast forward a few months, and her ability has only gotten stronger. She's come home from work and tell me that about the activity she experienced while being there. Little did we know, she would end up having the, quote, man upstairs, as she referred to him, follow her home and become our worst nightmare. Oh, there's actually a photo of her thigh. Eh, looks like she bumped her thigh against something. Or, or like, fabric was bothering her. Uh, it goes on to say, Leah started to hear noises and movement upstairs, and then one particular night she said she left her bedroom. She saw a tall, bald, slender man leaving another bedroom. On another occasion, Leah's mother said she heard a man breathing down her ear. It was three low breaths. All right, that's kind of creepy. That same evening, uh, Leah found the scratches after taking showers, and after taking a shower, insists that she could not have done them herself as they were too pronounced. Really? I don't think they're that pronounced. All right, uh, whatever. She uh, later went into her mother's room, asking her what she was looking for in the wardrobe, but she could hear her, mud, her mom rummaging around in there. However, she was shocked to discover her mom was in bed and hadn't moved nor been near the wardrobe. The next night, Leah took a shower, and after she got out, came downstairs. She showed her mom another mark had shown up across her hip. Her mom said, With her now being physically harmed, I thought enough is enough, and I needed to do something about it. I asked around my friends, and they asked their friends, and I got quite a few recommendations for Ian Griffiths. I'm reaching out to him, giving him a small description of what had been going on. Right from the get-go, he was amazing. Leah says she is now looking for looking into her own supernatural abilities. When Ian came to our house, he was able to describe my brother's bedroom in detail and hadn't even been in it. He went into my mom's bedroom and went straight to the wardrobe and said she said he could sense the activity. I said, that's where I've been hearing, uh, hearing everything too and thought I was going mad. He then went into my bedroom and saw my candles, which I use when I meditate and speak to my granddad. He confirmed everything we had experienced, and then he said he passed the man over to the other side from his house. One day at around 6.40 p.m., I was leaving my house to go to the shop, and suddenly I felt really angry and felt like I needed to get out. Ian later said this is around the same time the man passed over. Uh, he sent, uh, this guy went on to say that he pictured the man as slim and tall, wandering around the house, never been there before. I told her what I was picking up, and he says, and she says, that's what's been happening and what's been we seen wandering around the house. The male spirit didn't seem positive. I got more negative feelings from him. Uh, he goes on to talk about how he did it um, over the years of being a medium. I've learned how to remove spirits. It's the years of learning and experience removing good and negative spirits. Some negative ones can be very challenging at times. Some can mark you, as it did with Leah, or make you feel ill and uh, put unwanted emotions on people. I've been affected by some negative ones, pushed, marked, and even nasty comments close to my ear or face. But in the end, it comes down to learning how to deal with each negative spirit that I've come across over the years. Well, good. It looks like there was a, he's gone. She won't get any more scratch marks on her. Hmm. Good for her. Alrighty, almost to the end of uh, Paranormal News. Two more stories. Up next in Paranormal News, second possible Sasquatch sighting reported in Ashland County, Ohio. The 51-year-old Ashland County man freely professes an interest in the Sasquatch phenomenon, but with more than two decades of work in the law enforcement business, he also knows he saw something on June 9th that he can't quite explain. Was it the second biggest, second Bigfoot sighting of 2021 coming out on the heels of a reported encounter at near a 24-hour gym on April 24th, just a few miles away? That, should, that story should sound familiar. I talked about that one on a previous Paranormal News. A girl walked out of a 24-hour gym and saw a Bigfoot by her car. They say, I've tried to explain it away, but I just can't. In all the years I've lived here, I've never seen anything like it. He's, uh, he said, he, uh, here's how they described it, including a report he filed July 6th with National Sasquatch guru Matthew Moneymaker and in his Bigfield, Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization website. 
After a 90-minute summer afternoon rain, the man, who asked his name not to be used, was aboard his riding lawnmower when he saw something near the tree line next to the recently planted soybean field, perhaps 250 yards away. A large, all-black figure walking upright emerged from the tree line, walking diagonally in a northeast direction across the bean field, and then disappearing into another wooded area. Said he was stunned, he stopped his motor, he just watched it. Um, he said he didn't have his phone on him, there was no way to record it. It'd been raining hard right before I mowed. I normally keep the phone in my pocket, but I didn't want to have it with me in case it started raining again. It happened so quickly, there would have been no way for me to get back into the house and grab it. I knew it would be gone. As the creature walked, the man drove his uh, mower about 35 yards closer to the edge of the bean field, unable to get closer. At that point, the dark figure was just east of the trail cam, and I was hoping it would cross in front of the cam, but it stayed to the north of it. It was following a deer trail. The whole time I was thinking, no one's going to believe me. The man said the dark figure crossed the field in about 90 seconds without any trouble, disappearing into chest-high weeds and then into the tree lines. He watched for several minutes to see if the figure would re-emerge, but it never did. These, they did find deep depressions in the terrain. Uh, he pointed out someone could literally park a truck in one of them and would not be visible from his property. I also scanned the tree line for any vehicles that might be there for someone walking, but there weren't any. Uh, he said he thought it might be his neighbor checking the nearby trail cams, perhaps a mushroom hunter. But uh, he checked with the neighbors, found out that wasn't the case. Who would have been out after that pouring rain dressed all in black? He searched the field for footprints, but found none. He later found and photographed two large impressions close to a nearby creek that could be footprints, including toe indentations. Oh, he says it's just hard to tell. All right, that's cool. I mean, it seems kind of odd. If it was raining that heavily, as he said it was, why wouldn't there be footprints everywhere? I don't get that. Oh, actually, this last story is actually a duplicate, so that's it for Paranormal News. Uh, just to, before we go to break, just to let you guys know, there are going to be two live shows this week. One tomorrow, that's Thursday, uh, July 22nd at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can find that on twitch.tv under Paranormal Almanac. You can go to Facebook and watch it there, Paranormal Almanac. Check in. It's the first uh, live show I've done since I've gotten a new phone. Hopefully all that crap is all taken care of. I can actually get some callers again and actually have some fun again. And I'm happy to do another one of these. I had so much fun with the last one. This is the second annual Summerween. My friend Caitlin's uh, birthday weekend, her request was to do another live Paranormal Almanac episode. We did one last year. It was a blast. She wants people to call in for her birthday. All she wants is people to call in with their personal paranormal stories. Can't wait for that one, too. So that's going to be Sunday, 6 p.m., I believe. You can check it on the Facebook page, uh, 6 p.m. Pacific time, again on Facebook, and also on Twitch, twitch.tv. All righty, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Paranormal Almanac. We are back. On this edition, I wanted to talk about one thing and one thing only, Pukwudgies. Now, I briefly, very briefly, mentioned them in the Bridgewater Triangle episode and always wanted to come back and do a full episode about them, so I figured, let's do it now. Let's talk about nothing but puckwudgies. Now, in case you didn't listen to that episode, it was the Bridgewater Triangle episode, in case you didn't listen to that episode or just can't remember it, well, let's first talk about what the hell a puckwudgie is. It's fun to say, puckwudgie. Well, a puckwudgie, also known as a... Bagwajini or Bakwajmen, among others that randomly pop up on the internet. Those are the main ones. Pukwaji is definitely the main, main one. Or Pudwaji, 
there's like various like differences, but it's puck wedgie. But apparently puck wedgie means little wild man of the woods that vanishes. I can't confirm that. I have no idea if that's what it really means, but that's what all the websites say it means. So there you go. Now, puck wedgies are part of the Native American lore. And I mean, they are really wrapped up with Native American lore. Native Americans believe that puck wedgies used to get along with humans, but then turned against them. I'll talk about more about that in a little bit. But what do they look like? Well, they're two to three feet tall. They're goblin-like creatures with canine-like noses. Some say werewolf-like noses, but it's canine-like noses. They have larger ears, big lips, long fingers that are often seen. They're often seen, I mean, their fingers are too. And they're often seen deep in forests or swamps. Now, some descriptions say they have porcupine-like quills running down their backs. Other accounts say they wear some kind of blue gown or robe. Look, basically, puckwudgies are magical creatures that can shapeshift into animals. They're considered the spirits of the forest. Some sites say that puckwudgies can appear and disappear at will, have the ability to shapeshift into dangerous animals like cougars. They're uh, there are many questionable stories, I'm saying very questionable stories, about getting a puck wedgie to tell you their name. If you can get a puck wedgie to give you their actual name, well, if you do, yet sometimes you have to trick them or, you know, like riddle me this kind of crap. But if you do, you can control them or use them against another human, like curse somebody else with a puck wedgie. Now, this may have been the inspiration for the fairy tale Rumpelstiltskin. Again, whole lot of ifs in all of that. Basically, the thing that seems to stand out the most is they're two to three foot tall. They're goblin-like creatures. They got kind of human features on them, goblinish, humanish features on them, long fingers. That seems to be the main underlying feature for every one of these Pukwudgie stories. But they can also turn themselves into a combination of creatures Confuse humans, that also seems to be a very common trait after their size. They can create fire out of nowhere. They can launch poison arrows. They can use magic. And spoiler, they can lure people to their deaths. And because of that last little, you know, bit luring people to their deaths, basically, Pukwudgies are mean little bastards. That's not me saying it. I love you, Puckwudgies. For all the Puckwudgies listening right now, shout out, special shout out to all the Puckwudgies listening. But a lot of websites say you guys are mean little bastards. All right. So since they have a large Native American connection, I figured, well, let's start there. The Algonquin and Wampanoag tribes have the most connection to the Puckwudgies, but there are a lot of tribes from Indiana East, basically, north and south, Indiana east of the United States that have connections to the Puckwudgies. They say that they're capable of both good and evil, but unfortunately, mostly evil now. Now, the Native Americans from the Great Lakes region all the way to Maine spoke of the Puckwudgies and how they came to be. They said they, uh, they believed they were in creation. there was a creation giant named Mousehop. Mousehop? Mousehop. I think it's Mousehop who is a large, hairy creature. Now, he came from Cape Cod, and he lived there before the Wampanoag, basically before humans. Now, Mashop was so large that his diet consisted mainly of whales. To catch them, he threw boulders into the water, 
to make stepping stones. During a celebration, he emptied his pipe ashes into the ocean, and those pipe ashes became Nantucket. Why the hell am I talking about this ginormous creature? Stick with me for a minute. So Mousechop was seen as the provider for the Wampanoag Indians. They came into the land, they came over to Cape Cod, main area, and Mousechop was like this big creature dude that was just like, hey, yeah, I can cheat you guys anything. I show you how to fish, I can show you how to hunt, whatever you guys need. Want to make fire? Here's how you do it. So the Wampanoag apparently became a little too reliant on him. So he so he left so they could learn how to survive on their own. He was uh, responsible for creating much of the land the tribe called home. And Mousechop and his wife, Granny Squanet, that's right, Granny Squanet, they were so loved and revered by the tribe that the tribe would actually lavish them both with affection and respect. Okay, now enter the Puckwudgies. So Puckwudgies are all just kind of hanging out. They're tiny little creatures. They're seeing like how awesome the Wampanoag are with Mousechop and how much like the Wampanoags love Mousechop basically. So they were like, well, we want some of that kind of Wampanoag lug. So they try to help the Wampanoag, but sadly it backfired on them. And the Wampanoag are like, you know what, little guys, uh, we don't need your help. We got Mousechop. He's way cool and all. We're just going to hang out with him. You guys just kind of run along now. And they sat back into the woods and they were watching how much the Wampanoags absolutely loved Mileshop and Granny Squanet. And they became more and more and more jealous of these people. So they decided, you know what, Wampanoag, we're not going to try and help you anymore. Instead, we're going to hurt you or at the very least annoy the shit out of you. And things soon escalated. So the, tri the tribe's like, hey, um, Mousechop, these little fuckers, can you get rid of them? So he said, yeah, you know what? I don't like these little guys either. So he scooped up the little guys, shook them senselessly like, like, like dice, and then just kind of tossed them all around New England, killing many of them in the process. Sorry, I should have gave you guys a warning that, you know, Puckwedgies were killed in the telling of the story. So a lot of Puckwedgies are killed. This didn't sit well with the surviving Puckwudgies who were like, what the crap? So they started out an all-out revenge war with the humans and Mouse Shop. Now, legends say that the Puckwudgies set fire to the Wampanoag homes. They kidnapped their children, luring many, many Native Americans to their deaths in the woods. Now, they were hunted by Mouse Shop's family, but the Puckwudgies were ready this time and killed his five sons with arrows. Then they, you know scattered off and deep into the woods because they wanted Mousechop's power to fade. That's right. They actually hung out deep in the woods for this godlike creature to become lore and just kind of fade off into the, you know, memories, if you will. And what did they do in the meantime? Well, any time a Native American or settlers by this point would come across a Puckwudgie deep in those woods and swamps, well, they'd kill those random humans any chance they got. They were still mad at the humans. All right, it's a great story. It's a very cool tale, but is any of it true? Has anyone actually ever seen a Puckwudgie? Well, the answer is yes, because reports of Puckwudgie sightings from New England to Indiana to Texas all over the eastern side of the United States still happen to this day. Now, many people think that Puckwudgies are actually seen even more often than that, but unfortunately, those that see them never lived to tell their story. 
people that go missing in the woods, which if you've listened to that episode, there is a shit ton of people that go missing into the woods. So people that go missing into the woods and swamps, a lot of people say, a lot of Native American people say also, might be victims of the Pukwudgies continued hatred towards humans. Now, before I get to more recent sightings, because I got a, I got a few of those, don't worry. But let me take you a quick second about Pukwudgie in literature and kind of, sort of, in movies. Now, the first one is The Song of Hiawatha by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Now, after he read schoolcraft stories of, uh, oh, I always get this wrong, uh, Ojibwe folklore. I apologize, I butchered that. Um, he wanted to write about the Pukwudgies, so he wrote about them in a chapter, The Death of Kwausind, which begins with this. It's called The Song of Hiawatha. Far and high, nope, already fucked it up. Way to go, Kurt, take two. Far and wide among the nations, spread the name and fame of Kwausind. No man dared to strive with Kwausind, no man could compete with Kwausind, but the mischievous Pukwudgies. They, the envious little people, they, the fairies and the pygmies, plotted and conspired against him. Yep, that seems about right. Pukwudgies hate people. They're little. They're sometimes called fairies or pygmies. Sure, why not? All right. So now the next time that they're really talked about, Puckwudgies that is, are really talked about, is in the Harry Potter universe. That's right, Puckwudgies are mentioned in Pottermore and Wizards Unite. Look, they're just, they're another creature in Harry Potter's universe. The Potterverse, if you will. See, I told you that was a real quick literature detour. Now on to the sightings. Now the first one is from September 2020, but... I gotta be honest, even though it said it's a Puckwudgie sighting or story about Puckwudgies, I'm not exactly convinced this is a Puckwudgie. I personally think it might be a Bigfoot who look very differently from Puckwudgie, if you haven't guessed already. But it's been said this is a Puckwudgie story, so I'll play it for you anyway after this brief message from some random ad. Here we go. Now for a strange story out of rural Coffee County. Residents there say they've heard unusual animal sounds at night, and several ATV riders say they've seen unusual looking creatures in the distance. Today, Mike Gerspan spoke to a few people who are trying to figure out what is in the forest between Enterprise and New Brockton. I can just say this something's going on in the woods. Something's going on. That's right. Timbuktu. And you know, of all the millions of sightings and reports. Joe Blackburn and Tanner Medley work at Bama Slam, an entertainment and recreational venue north of Enterprise. Recently, the two men have received reports from ATV riders of distant sightings of an unusual animal. In addition, folks in the area have heard a loud shriek at night. But it didn't sound like a coyote. Yeah. We get a lot of feedback from the uh, the ATV riders, and one of those recent feedbacks over the last 21, 30 days has been, "Hey, there's something strange. There's some knocking going on. We hear some screeches. They're not dogs. They're not coyotes. What could it be, right?" And this is not the first time there have been reports of an unusual creature in the woods. In fact, about a decade ago, a crew out of California brought a lot of equipment trying to get a picture in the Asbury community. After reports of a... All righty, that's about all we need from here. Oh, Puckwudgie, Bama Slam. Oh, Puckwudgie, Bama Slam. I saw a Puckwudgie, Bama Slam. I just like that they said Bama Slam. All righty, this next one, though, is definitely more Puckwudgie-esque without the Bama Slam. Perhaps the most intriguing yet lesser-known report of a cryptic animal sighting in the Hockamock Swamp occurred in 1919 
Former Raynham resident William Russo will never forget his amazing up-close-and-personal encounter. Back in the late 1980s to about the mid-1990s, I was working a three-to-midnight shift in the town of Rainham where I lived, and that's where my strange happening occurred. When I got off work every night at midnight, I'd walk my dog, Samantha. She was a Rottweiler Shepherd mix, big, around 90 pounds. Now, usually we walked on the sidewalks towards the center of town. But in this particular night, we walked a different route. I, I don't really know why, but we did. Right behind my house is an area we called the High Tees, claimed by the electric company. They run those high tension wires. It's about 50 feet across and overgrown with 100 foot pines. So it's kind of like a route for kids who want to take shortcuts and who knows what kind of wildlife during the day and at night maybe stranger things. I went perhaps a half a mile when I came to an old water wheel that ran a, an early ironworks back a couple hundred years ago. And there's a street light at this road and the street light casts a big circle of light right in the middle of the street about a 10 foot radius. So as I approached the road, all of a sudden Sammy, my dog, started to pull at the leash and I looked down and she was quivering, she was shaking, she was rattling like an old Chevy. And then a few moments later, I heard what was scaring the dog. It was a high-pitched, almost a wail. And it went like this, it went, I want you, I want you, gear, gear, I want you. Now the hairs on my, the back of my neck started to go up and Sammy, of course, she was just absolutely in terror. And suddenly I saw something walk. It was erect, standing straight up. It walked into the middle of that circle of light that was cast by the street lamp. It was about three or four feet tall. It had a pot belly. And as I walked a little closer, I saw that it wasn't clothed. It had hair that was maybe three, four inches long, totally covered in hair. It had eyes that were perhaps a little big for its head, but not hugely disproportionate. The face perhaps looked like the chipmunk. At first I thought it was a child, but as I analyzed it, I, I thought it was in the beginning stages of old age. I don't think it was young. Whatever it was, it wasn't young, but it was speaking. I mean, it definitely speaking, and it kept saying, E want you, E want you, get more insistent. And it started beckoning me. Care, care, E want you. It wasn't threatening me, but what was weird, it wasn't advancing to me. It didn't come near me. It wanted to get me in its space. This is what I felt like. I wish I could say that I was brave enough to go right up and, you know, get that close from it, but I couldn't. I was scared. And my Sammy, Samantha, was scared, so we turned around and we walked home pretty fast. And I stayed up the whole night analyzing, what could this be? What could this be? It's almost over. And here's what guys. I think it was saying. My best guess is, E want you is, we want you. We want you. Here. Here, come here, come here. I think it was speaking English. I All righty, so that about does it for that one. Uh, that is definitely way more Puckwudgie-esque. Absolutely, uh, I mean, it's kind of a cool story. I got to give them credit. I don't know if I would have connected the dots of Iwan Chu here 
to be, we want you, come here, but hey, I wasn't there. I'm just glad that the dog was okay. I'm glad that nothing happened to the dog. All right, the next up is audio from a group of people that actually went into the woods of the Bridgewater Triangle looking for the Pukwudgie. Now, they went there with psychic medium Maureen Woods, and then um, in the video, she starts kind of backing up into the woods, kind of acting kind of weird, just kind of backing away from the guys. It's all in uh, night vision. And then she basically kind of just goes ape shit. And one of the team kind of tackles her. And for some reason, they start to perform an exorcism on her. Don't worry, this one's only a minute long. It's very quick. It's very bizarre. If I had to watch it, you got to hear it. Let's Maureen. see. There we go. There's Maureen. She's staring at the guy. She's not acting Ron, quite right, though. Watch her going back too far. Maureen. Come on, Maureen, fight him. Oh, now she's acting weird. She's backing up like crazy. Don't let her go back too far, Ron. Don't let her get in the water. Yeah. Maureen. 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 Here comes the tackle, and Maureen goes down. Holy water. Leave this fight. Angel, leave this fight. It's not your own. Leave it. Leave it. Leave it. Leave the father and the son to hold the cross. Leave the body. Leave it. Leave it. Push him out. And that's about the end of the video. She's on the ground. I'm going to turn it down a little bit. She's on the ground. She's recovering. She's good. Maureen's fine. No Maureen's were hurt in the making of this video. Now, some people say, though, that even though this video is on really shaky, night vision, crappy-tastic video, that some people say that the video of Maureen freaking out just behind her you can see a puck wedgie in the woods looking at them. I have tried and tried and tried to see that puck wedgie in the woods. I don't see shit. I'll be honest, I don't see anything, but, you know, hey, I'll put the video up on the Facebook page. You guys take a look. You tell me if you can see a puck wedgie staring at Marine, freaking out, and then uh, having to be exercised for some reason. I don't know the connection between the two, but whatever. Alrighty, so that's about all the audio really worth sharing. So let's talk about Puckwudgie hotspots, like Freetown, which is a state park located in Fall River, Freetown, and Lakeville, Massachusetts. Now, Fall River might sound familiar to you because it's the infamous home of Lizzie Borden, apparently, but it's also a place where people think that Puckwudgies are killing people left and right because in the Freetown State Forest... A hundred foot cliff known as the ledge, which is overlooks a uh, like a quarry. Well, there have been several suicides, sadly, at the ledge by people not knowing, not known to be mentally ill. Now, some say that the puckwudgies are to blame; that they're actually luring the people over the ledge. One Massachusetts woman nearby there made actually, she actually made a police report stating she saw a puckwudgie in the forest who continued to pester her by tapping on her window at night as she slept. I've got to be honest, though. Comparatively, that's not the end of the world. So it's a little bit annoying. It's got a puck wedgie tapping on your window every night. Sure, I can get annoying. But I'd much rather do that than fall down a 100-foot cliff known as the ledge. 
Alrighty, now puck wedgies aren't just seen in the north. Like I said earlier, they're actually spotted in Texas as well, where people have encountered strange little gnome-like creatures while traveling Harry Man Road. That's right, apparently in Texas, there's a road called Harry Man Road. You gotta be telling me that, like, there's gotta be Bigfoot on Harry Man Road. It better not be that there was some freaking hillbilly that just lived there who's really hairy, and they were like, well, that's Harry Man's Road. Like, I hope it's Bigfoot Road. But in Round, Texas, Round Rock, Texas, again, grain of salt time, but in, in Round Rock, Texas, one woman, first name Joan, she didn't want to give her last name, claims she came across a puckwudgie while walking her dog through the woods in the 90s. Now, her dog ran off the path and dragged her into the woods. When the dog finally stopped, she found herself staring at a strange little being standing on a rock. Now, she described him as looking like a troll, about two feet high, with pale gray skin and hair on his arms and on the top of his head. Now, his torso made up the majority of his body, and he had very short legs. His eyes were deep green, and he had large lips and a long, almost canine nose. Needless to say, Joan was so shocked to see the creature, she just kind of stared at it. It stared at her. Finally, the dog ran back to the path, pulling her away from the puckwudgie, possibly saving her life. Now, even though she left it alone and went home, she said the creature would always appear at her window and wake her up. Now, this continued until she was just like, you know what, I'm kind of done with this, and she moved away. You know how I always wait till the end to ask questions? I'm going to ask the question now. What would you guys do in that situation? If you guys had a puck wedgie that would come to your window every night, didn't seem to want to kill you, didn't seem to want to hurt you, just came by the window, he's got green eyes, he's got deep green eyes, large lips, long nose, Come on, it's a puckwudgie. Would you guys move away or would you try and befriend a puckwudgie? Because I got to think at that point, I might actually try and befriend him. He, like I said, he's not trying to like have me kill myself or set me on fire. What, what would you guys do? Would you become, would you befriend a puckwudgie? All right, let's continue on. Next is from a man named Tom who uh, first saw a puckwudgie when he was a teenager. He had snuck out of his parents' house one night to walk in the woods to clear his mind. As he walked down a path, he saw a glowing light. He says, I noticed a dim light, like in the form of a ball in front of me. It was white and swelled like it was breathing. It rose to about my shoulders and then flew into the woods. So he follows the light down the path. The light disappears. As he's turning to head back home, though, he's like, oh, crap, I'm not alone. That's right. That's when he notices a short man covered entirely in first. He was just kind of like standing nearby. He said he was about two feet tall and had a nose like a wolf. Now, the man ran off into the trees with an unearthly moan. Now, Tom saw the Puckwudgie again for a second time. One night, he was driving home uh, one of the uh, Freetown State Forest parking lots. He was, uh, one night he drove, oh, one night he drove to one of the Freetown State Forest parking lots. I get it. And he was sitting in his car. He turned off the engine and the headlights and turned on the radio down low, just kind of enjoying peace and quiet. That's again when he realized he wasn't alone. Standing in the darkness, staring at Tom, was the same little man he had seen in the woods. He said the puckwudgie was about 20 feet away. He could see its eyes glowing red in the night. Abruptly, the engine of Tom's car started on its own, the radio blasting crazy loud music, freaked out Tom, so he just drove home. He said that was the last time he saw a puckwudgie. Let's see, there's a mounds... Mounds State Park in Anderson, Indiana. That's another place where puckwudgies are said to be active, but I'll be honest, no real good sighting stories that come from that location that I could find. It was always just the same. Yeah, I saw a puckwudgie. 
All right, how about a little bit more information? How about a little more detail? If you guys, hey listeners, if you guys ever see a cryptid, don't just go, oh yeah, I, I saw a Mothman. No, no, where, when, what were you doing? What was it doing? What did it look like? Tell me everything. Don't just be like, yeah, I saw a Pukwudgie. What do you want, so what? That's the worst story ever. And there's people that are in comments on videos like, yeah, I saw Pukwudgie too. Really? How? Where? What? What happened, you jackasses? Uh, let's see. Um, oh, let's continue on with author and amateur archaeologist Paul Starsman. He claims to have encountered the Pukwudgies a bunch of times. This dude, he loves his Pukwudgies and they apparently love him. So he, um, he, he just wrote a book about him called The Pukwudgies of Indiana. I'll be honest, I have not read it yet. Uh, his first encounter was in 1927 when he was only 10 years old. Jesus Christ, how old is this guy? Is this guy still alive? Uh, he says that he was uh, hiking alone on a trail in the park. He suddenly saw a little man half his size. The little man had dull blonde hair that covered his head like a helmet, which uh, left his round ears to protrude. That's a very different description from the rest of the descriptions of Pukwudgies. Uh, he also interviewed Eloise H. Uh, he said that he interviewed her while she was living at a nursing home in Anderson, Indiana. She remembers playing alone in the park and was. Uh, she said she was approached by a group of, quote, little people who seemed curious about her and what she was doing. She said they had high-pitched voices and spoke a language she could not understand. She experienced this again when she was uh, older, hiding alone nearby the woods. When she was older, hiding alone nearby the woods. Oh, okay. All righty, so we know what they are, kind of what they look like, except for Paul's description, who's kind of batshit different than everybody else. But what do you do if you see a Pukwudgie nowadays? You're out in the woods, you come across a Pukwudgie, what do you do? Well, the main thing I found everywhere, if you spot a Pukwudgie, just leave it alone. Just walk away from it, far away from it. Don't follow it, don't listen to it, don't stare at it. Just kind of put your head down a little bit, like, you know, so you can kind of keep an eye on them, but your head's kind of down and get the F out of there. Keep calm, keep focused on leaving. Don't let it talk to you. And if for some reason you did happen to annoy a Pukwudgie and make it out alive, they say it may not be over because the Pukwudgie will continue to annoy you, your family, your children, even kidnapping your kids Basically, they'll just drive you insane or to commit suicide or apparently to just move away. If it keeps kind of, you know, tapping at your window, you just go, ah, come on, and then you just move away. Alrighty, that being said, though, there are different regions that have different views on Pukwudgies. It seems to me, from what I could find out, that the Great Lake tribes believe that the Pukwudgies are mischievous, but essentially they're harmless. But the Northeast Algonquin tribes believe that the Pukwudgies will become violent if they're disrespected, yet they're fine if they're left alone. Now, there's other tribes that say, nope, you see a Pukwudgie, you're screwed, and sometimes you won't even spot one. You'll just hear it or smell it. Yep, that's right. It seems that the Pukwudgies have a recognizable sweet floral scent, although Kurt here if you're walking through the woods, it might just be the floral trees and the flowers and basically the nature shit that you're smelling and not a puck wedgie you just happen to not see. 
But I guess to be safe, if you really, really smell a strong floral scent, you look around you, you're not in a field of poppies or everything, you know, like there's nothing around you that could be causing that crazy strong floral scent. Maybe just to be safe, leave as quick as possible. Put on your Facebook Live if you've got signal and like, you know, keep sweeping around you because you never know. You might get a puck wedgie on camera. That's way better than the one that uh, the crazy exorcist psychic lady was behind her. So there you have it. That's what you do if you come across a puck wedgie. Is it, is it great advice? No, it's advice. Sure. It's not great advice. I really don't know how, how do I annoy a puck wedgie? How do I piss off a puck wedgie? What am I doing that's going to maybe, maybe me just being there in the woods is enough annoyance to a puck wedgie. And then I got this thing out there after me, like trying to annoy me, my family, my dog, you know, whatever. I do know that I wouldn't follow it like Icha Wu or whatever the crap that dude was saying. I wouldn't follow it. I wouldn't, uh, oh, he wants me to come here. Oh, what's that? You want me to come here? All right, I'll come over here. Well, you you crazy looking little guy. I'll come over by you. I, I don't think I would do that. I don't think, I don't know what I would gain from following a puck wedgie into the woods or swamps. It seems like there's a lot to lose. seems like there's only pretty much stuff to lose. Uh, I don't want to go disappearing in some woods just because some puck wedgie kind of sort of said, we want you but was actually saying like, don't come near me, you disrespectful human. And how dare you call us annoying when you're the annoying humans? Like, I don't know, man. All I'm saying is puck wedgie. Fun to say, apparently not so fun to see. So there you have it. That is a full episode on one thing and one thing alone, the puck wedgies. Hope you guys like this one. I, uh, I like doing the single item episodes. Not like the list episodes. I like doing one thing. You know what you're getting on this episode. When you see this pop up on however you get your podcast, you're going, puck wedgie, huh? All right, I guess Kurt's talking about puck wedgies and not just like uh, shit that you could annoy in the woods. Oh, wow. I don't wonder if that's going to be about. There's going to be a lot of shit that I can annoy in the woods. Nope. Not on this episode. Just the one. Unless you, again, run into that Maureen lady that apparently you know, she'll annoy the shit out of you. All righty, there you have it. I hope you guys enjoyed this one once again. Oh, I didn't ask any other questions. What's scarier to you? A puck wedgie or that uh, psychic Marine freaking out in the woods? Marine, uh, Marine Woods, is that her name? Marine Woods freaking out in the woods? I think that was her name. That's weird. What's, uh, what's scary to you? I'm going to go with Marine. All righty, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Sandvik, and this has been another edition of Paranormal... Almanac. Oh, puck wedgie, bam a slam. Gotta see a puck wedgie, bam a slam. I see a puck wedgie, bam a slam. Little puck wedgie, bam a slam. Mail some abbeys, no puff, oh, mail some abbeys, no puff, oh.